Hello? Who be there? I be here. And where be Scott? Scott no be here. Scott? Hello? There he is. What's up? Nothing. What's up with you? Alright, you want to go in or we got anything to do before we go in? I don't know. We want to wait till my f***ing washing machine stops spinning around? You're God. in a lovely mood tonight. Dr. Bill, he's happy, Bill. Dr. Bill. <laughs> he's happy, Bear. <laughs> Who's the happy, ass. Bill? Jen's like, what's the matter? Why you, especially yesterday, I came home and the news was on, and I'm just bitching about everything on Unleashed. She's like, what's the matter with you? I'm like, rah, 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 rah. everything makes you angry. <laughs> no, it doesn't, and I hate when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me, it's the goddamn world! We gonna have the Hulk music to this whole thing? Oh, that would be awesome. Feel free to put it underneath me to the whole thing. Especially if I get on a tirade. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back Welcome to the Bins. To back to the Bins. Wait, is there an echo in here? I am an echo. Echo, echo, echo. Just an echo of a memory that you once had. Huh? I don't know, something like that. I feel like Captain Picard in the uh, in the in the Nexus. I'm an echo. Playing your flute? Oh, oh wait, no, that say, was a different you, one. Are you got guiding in the Nexus? <laughs> Please no. Oh, sorry. Didn't didn't she describe herself that way? Didn't she say, "Think of me as an echo"? Yes. Of the person you know, yes. As in you just go on and on and on and you just won't shut up? That's me. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Anyway, back to the bins, huh? Here we hey. are. Hey. Yeah, how about that? We just finished recording Get Off My Lawn, and it will never be broadcast. You're welcome. <laughs> and here we are to talk about comics. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is, and I don't know when this is going to air, how far in the future, but... I am now 11 episodes deep into season three of Daredevil, and let me tell you something, it is good. It's re I'm really enjoying the heck out of this. It took about three episodes in to kind of hook me, but once I was hooked, it's been, it's been just, I've just been binging it for the last two days. So what do you think of the FBI guy? Which FBI guy? Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, the one who is... Um... See, I don't want to spoil it for any people. Well, we have two, one, two FBI agents, and I'm not going to say anything more than their names. There's Agent Nadim, and there's Agent Poindexter. Poindexter. I think he's well, just... Well, actually, actually, they're, they're both, both really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't really matter which one you said. I, I, I really like the way they're both written into the story. But I was more along the lines of Poindexter's skills. Oh, I think they're portraying them just really well. <laughs> So and they they also have the character of Sister Maggie, 
And mm-hmm. spoiler, but it is in the comics, so I don't mm-hmm. think it's too much of a spoiler. Sister Maggie is really Matt Murdock's mom. Right. Yeah. And uh, she's portrayed by Joanne Wally. I don't know if you remember, she used to be known as Joanne Wally Kilmer. You know, I she's thought that was... Yeah, okay. Boy, I never would have picked her out as being that. Because I remember her back in the 1980s, back when she was Joanne Wally Kilmer. She was hot. <laughs> I know, that's... What- you know, until you said that, I didn't real, I didn't make that connection, and uh, yeah. What was huh. she in that I might know? Because her name sounds familiar, but oh, she was the, she was the, she was the uh, female lead in Willow. Oh yeah, wow. I never saw that. What really? <laughs> oh, that's a surprise. Really? We're gonna do this again. We're shocked at this information. That's a Every surprise. Time. I'm sorry. Every time I ever say that I've never seen Willow, that's the reaction. Really? Really? Yes, really. I, 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 I can accept I saw Willow. I'm not crazy about it. I'm just surprised you never saw it. I never saw Scott, it. Scott, don't feel bad. I've never seen E.T., and I get the same thing. You've never seen E.T.? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. You knew that. Yeah, I, I had forgotten that, but yeah, I did know that. You, you go out of your way, you've gone out of your way not to see E.T. because you want that reaction. No, I never saw E.T. because it beat out Wrath of Khan at the movie theater, told us for that year, which is why I vowed never to see it. I'm going to have you and Matt Hunsworth over, and we're going to watch E.T. I want to see the Wrath of Chaka Khan. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I can't, you know, but like I said, you've purposely avoided watching E.T. I assume, I assume. You avoided it's never been Yes, you have. I didn't watch it because it beat out the Wrath of Khan. That's purposely avoiding it. No, that was way back when, when I was younger. But later, it was just never. Like I Later, you tried to wear it as a badge of honor that you haven't seen it. Well, well, now it is because I've gone this yeah. far with never seeing it. So now I you're going out of your way. Pieces. I know the storyline. Whatever. Whereas I, I suspect it. Scott's not seeing Willow has nothing to do with any conscious decision. It's just that he just doesn't care. No, uh, the thing with Willow is I I don't think I've ever had the opportunity. You know what I mean? I mean, other than like when it was out at the theater and all that. But I mean, it's it's. Just it's not like you worked in a video store or anything. It. It's just never really fallen in my lap. You know what I mean? Because you never worked in a video store, right? Well, I did. <laughs> it's, well, where am I going to find a copy of this movie? <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I have nothing against it or anything. I well, just, I don't know. It's. I'm sure it, I watched it Willow, look but like I anything that would. Grab me, you know. I'm not trying to argue that it's the greatest movie. It's okay. But it's just, you know, a George Lucas, Ron Howard movie. I would just assume at some point it would come across your radar and you'd watch it. Yeah. One of these days I'd like to see it because I really like the uh, the theme to it, you know, the music. Because I think it's, I want to say it's James uh, Horner, I think. Well, they got what's her name in it, too. Uh, Joanne Wally Kelly. Isn't she in it? Isn't she I don't know. I haven't seen the movie since the 1980s. It's not like I'm a devotee. I was going to smack you if you said I haven't seen a movie. No, I've seen it, but I saw (laughs) it in the 1980s. But, you know. It's got Val Kilmer and, um, what's his name? Wicket, right? Yeah. 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 Well. Like you said, it's not a great movie, but it was entertaining. Oh, it's got Billy Barty in it. uh... Oh, God, does it really? Yeah. (laughs) What is uh, that a bad? Oh God! Oh. Guy, guy, he was typecast. He always played a midget. I wonder why. <laughs> Moron. Well, that's the other thing too. Is midgets creep me the hell out? But I think we've talked this about this before. So. <laughs> Guess you don't like time bandits then. I love I time like, bandits. I do like time bandits actually. Gene Marsh, not uh, Helen Mirren. Gene Marsh played the evil queen. 
All right, so that's Sorry. Scott's new job is to see to see uh, Willow. And mine is to continue to avoid E.T. Phone home, Bill. I don't, uh, well, never mind. I was going to put a weight joke in there, but never mind. Have you ever gone on the E.T. ride at Universal? Nope. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> what, that I haven't been on the ride, or why would I? No, I, I mean, <laughs> like if you, I was, if you had said yes. I, was... <laughs> I, I would have found that to be a little incongruous. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it. it. Makes no sense at all. <laughs> well, I tried, but I couldn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back to Daredevil. I, I've been, for some reason, remiss on my follow-up seasons. Uh, and, and I just hadn't been that enthusiastic, but somehow Daredevil crossed my radar path, and I started to watch it. And like I said, it took about three episodes, but once I got back into it, I'm really enjoying the heck out of this season. And now my enthusiasm has been reignited, so now I'm going to go back and see the se- the seasons I haven't seen. Season 2 of Luke Cage, season 2 of Iron Fist, season 2 of Jessica Jones, and both seasons of The Punisher. So I have to do all of those, so mm. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be binging away on these. We started watching season 2 of The Punisher over the weekend, but you know, Logan works now and he works nights and so he's not home during the week. And, you know, I don't want to continue without him. So the other night, uh, my wife and I were both trying to find something to watch, you know, that we would both, you know, want to watch together. And we had started season two of Jessica Jones. I think we watched like the first episode and it just didn't grab us somehow, despite the fact that we really loved the the first. I was really surprised. I mean, because, you know, I've, I've long tried to get my wife into comic stuff and most of the time, you know, she'll you know, she'll uh, tolerate it at best and you know, ignore it at worst. But Scott, uh, we I, actually... I don't think bringing home a black cat outfit for her is what she was. <laughs> but she uh, she really seemed to like uh, that first season of, of Jessica Jones. I mean, it was good television, you know, despite, you know, whether it was comics or not. It was just it was a good show and she really liked it. And, uh, you know, David Tennant was a good villain and all that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we really enjoyed watching that together, but that first episode of the second season just didn't really grab us. But I would you know, tend we to agree with you because I did watch the some... first episode, and I also kind of watched one and didn't go any further. But now, like I said, my enthusiasm has been reignited, so I'm going to go back and give it another shot. Yeah. Well, we we went forward and we we watched. I don't know. The other night we watched. I don't know. Three, two, three episodes. I think, and. It's it has me intrigued. I want to see where it goes. It's just it's it's it, my biggest problem with all of the Netflix Marvel stuff. It, it basically comes down to the same complaint for all of them: is this really slow? You they know? definitely start seem to start slow. There's a lot of times yeah. where it seems to pick up as it's going along, but they definitely seem to have a little trouble getting you hooked quickly. Yeah. So if you're not willing to stay with it for a few episodes, it's it's kind of easy to drop off of it. Now, see, the Punisher season two, so far is you know, well, that's the only season two uh, of the stuff post the Defenders that that I've you know watched and gotten a significant ways into, and that one I'm liking because I feel like now I liked the first season. Don't get me wrong, but. I had major issues with it, which I think a lot of other people did too. And I feel like 
you know, in, at least in the very first episode of season two, that they immediately were trying to address those issues. One of them being step up the pace, make it, you know, make have a lot more action, make it brutal, and just be faithful to the Punisher. Because I liked the first season, but I felt like it just friggin' meandered all over the place in that, you know, the action was good when you got it. You just didn't get enough of it, you know? It it just, it was way too talky. Whereas this this second season so far, I mean, yeah, he's he's the Punisher. He's doing shit the Punisher should be doing. And he's... You, you just won't be happy until he's hanging from a rope by his feet, spinning around in a circle, killing a bunch of guys in a room, will you? No, not necessarily, but I mean, I I like that movie unapologetically because mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. You know, the Punisher, a Punisher movie, it, it ain't Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be deep. What does the Punisher do? The Punisher kills the shit out of scumbags. That's what I want to see. Give me that. I don't need a deep story. I don't need, you know, some big political intrigue. I don't need it to be friggin' James Bond. I just need the Punisher to go out and kill people. You know, scumbags, dirtbags, bad people. That's what I want to see. Give me that. And that's what they've done with the second season. Yeah, there's a story, and it seems to be a pretty good story, but ultimately, the story's inconsequential to me. Just tell me that this is a group of bad people that need to be dead, and that's what Frank's going to go out and do, and I'm perfectly happy. And that's what Warzone gave me. I'm really shocked that more fans didn't like that movie because he brutally just murdered the shit out of scumbags for two hours. And I was perfectly happy with it. That's what I wanted. So, yeah. It's not art, but it was fun. That's fair enough. But I'm intrigued by the the Daredevil. I've heard nothing but good things about Daredevil Season 3, and I liked the other two seasons. That was something else that uh, my wife and I watched, and uh, she seemed to like that as well. Daredevil was pretty good. I thought the um, Daredevil portion of Season 2 paled compared to the Punisher portion of Season 2 of Daredevil. I thought thought Punisher carried Season 2 of Daredevil. Did you guys watch The Defenders? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then you know, so you'll be up to speed. So you were uh, you were up to speed for season three, Paul. You understood why what was going on, why they yes. thought he was. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was. You know, I had no problem with it. I, apparently, there's nothing in season two of Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, or Iron Fist that uh <laughs> that was needed to watch season three of Daredevil. Oh no, no, not at all. So I'm kind of sad there won't be an Iron Fist season three. Well, well, that, of the or, of those series, that's the one. Season two, the way they ended that, the way they ended that up, you're like, what? Oh shit! Well, nope. I still don't know that they're not going to do something when Disney gets his streaming I, service up and running. I don't know. I well, because I think they're that these properties and stuff, I think, are partially owned by Netflix, and I don't know if they may just reboot and start their own new stuff. I I don't know. I'm. I, I think Marvel learned its lesson with, with Fox and Sony. I, I don't think they sold away their rights to it. I think they just kind of had Netflix no, I don't think as, they a, sold away as a co-producer. Yes, yeah, so they, I think yeah. I think Marvel could just up and, you know, as long as... I think Netflix probably had the right to continue to do these shows. But once they said they're not doing them anymore, 
which is probably more to do with Marvel saying, well, we're not going to pay our share of it. You, if you want to do them, you, you pay for everything. Uh, that's my guess, is that Marvel manipulated them to cancel them because it, it was too routine that they canceled right as soon as the seasons ended each time. Uh, so I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Marvel wanted them back, and you know, that's what, that's, somehow they manipulated it. But I don't, I don't know if they're going to do it or not. I don't know when their streaming service is coming, but apparently, you know, they're talking about doing a Loki series. And there's another one that they're talking about doing, isn't there? Scarlet, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Scarlet, Scarlet Witch and Vision, yeah. yeah. Scarlet Witch and Vision, yeah. <coughs> so, you know, it, um, it just seems too convenient that Netflix canceled every one of them as soon as they dropped the, the most recent season. Yeah. Well, there's still going to be another Jessica <coughs> Jones season, and after that, I think it's done on Netflix. Another what? Jessica Another Jones. Jessica Jones season. I, guess I can I can even understand I can even understand they canceled uh, Luke Cage and they canceled Iron Fist. But when they canceled Daredevil, that said to me, okay, there's more to this than just because the Daredevil series has been popular. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the other the other ones I could see where you know they're maybe not quite as uh, you know doing quite as well as far as the streaming that's getting done. Hey, but anyway. but enough about Marvel. Let's let's talk about the DCs. Oh wait, never mind. Well, I don't. I don't think we've seen the end of Daredevil, though, because I saw something today. Um, I didn't click on the article to read it, but I saw a, a headline, something about the somebody involved with the Punisher uh, series wants Daredevil in Punisher 3, you know, season 3, if there is a Punisher season 3. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we've seen the last of that character. That's also, you know, if the actor wants to continue with, uh, with the role... Because that's what I fear might happen is, you know, a lot of times what will happen is, you know, the series will end like that. And, and the actor gets out of the physical shape. Yeah, yeah so, you know, somebody wants to continue it on, you know, some other network or whatever, but... You yeah, know, but then he's committed to something else. Exactly, you know, because they can't just sit on their hands and wait, you know, to see what happens. They, you know, they got mouths to feed or whatever, you know, bills to pay, so... That's yeah. right, they got to pay me. Oh, wait, never mind. Bills to pay. Doctor bills to pay. So DC streaming service. I assume none of us here have it. No. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't. I think the only person we know that even has a chance to see it without having to pay for the DC streaming is Andy. Because isn't like Titans on on Netflix overseas or something? Don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. I think I think it may be. I still like DC on regular uh, broadcast TV. No, you know what? I've I've pretty much totally lost my interest in those. Really? They've, they've just it's it's the same thing that made me lose my interest in The Walking Dead. They just become so repetitive. Mm. It feels like it's the same thing week after week after week. And not only that, but there's not even that much variation between the different shows. Each one of them, you have the hero, you have his support group that's back. You know, you got the computer yeah. expert, you well, got the, the tactician. The Elseworlds crossover was good because of what it did. That's made. what I've heard. Yeah. So I still it, have the three crossover episodes on my DVR, and I will watch those, but I'm not yeah. watching any of the series anymore. I mean, Arrow, I don't really care for Arrow anymore. I still like The Flash. Um, Black Lightning, I'm saving up to watch that. I believe season one's already on Netflix, so I'm going to binge that eventually. And then um, Supergirl, I haven't really been able. I don't know. It's just it hasn't grabbed me. But, I mean, other than that, I've been liking it. Well, I've also started to do my watch through. I'm, I'm going to, between now and when Ms. Marvel comes out, I'm going to watch all the MCU yeah, movies so again. Yeah, I doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm through uh I'm up to the Avengers. I have to watch that's the next one I'm gonna watch. I oh. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna watch you know, phase one and two and then I'm gonna take a break and then phase three I'm gonna do very close in time to mm. you know, when that movie is released. Um I know I've talked to Scott and actually um he and his son and I talked about the Spider Man game on on PlayStation. I've been playing the been playing the crap out of that. I actually beat the game, and it has. I told Scott I won't say it here in case anybody's playing it. I don't want to spoil it, but it has one of the most gut wrenching endings to the main storyline that you just really you're just like, ugh. ugh. I have heard good things about that game, but I'm you know I'm just not a gamer anymore. I have beat the game and I'm doing the DLC, but sometimes it is so enjoyable just to swing through the streets. Okay, in New York. There's places that I've been to more than once, and Madison Square Garden is one. So I swung over there as Spider-Man, and I looked around, and it was it wasn't 100% accurate, but it was darn close. And I have I have so much fun swinging through the streets, you know, stopping street crime, going over to the bridges, climbing the top of the Empire State Building, going to the Avengers Tower, all over the place, just swinging through the city. It's awesome. It is an awesome game. The mechanics are fun. The fighting is fun. You get to take on all of. Uh, at one point or another, you'll pretty much take on all Spider-Man's, you know, main rogues. And in the DLC now, I'm uh, involved Hammerhead. So yeah, uh, I highly recommend that game if you have the means. I got it when it was on sale. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's a good game. I love it. I know you said Hammerhead. I'm starting hammer. to hear. I'm starting to hear hammer time. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Stop! Shoot this hammerhead. <laughs> yeah, see, hammerhead. Can't shoot this. Can't smash this. I don't know how timely this will be by the time this episode comes out, but did you see the thing today about heads are starting to roll over at DC? I saw somebody. Yeah, I saw you posted that, but I didn't read the article because I figured it was clickbait and I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, well, somebody else will sum this up for me in one or two sentences, and I won't have to read the article. Scott, you got two sentences. Go. Go. Uh, it just it basically looks like uh, things might be starting to happen over at DC, and it might be moving in a positive direction. Things are going to start happening to them now. So who's out? Who's in? Who's up? Who's down? I didn't recognize any of the names, but you know, it's it's supposedly it's big important people that you know they're gone so mr DiDio, i don't know there's, a, there's, job, a, there's a couple of names DiDio. in particular i um say mr. what DiDio, are you there sir yeah see there's a couple of names i'm specifically you, waiting paul. to hear and that is one of them <laughs> was waiting for paul and his dan didio impersonation yeah we're coming out i can't even do it dan didio right now <laughs> you just see, supposed to I, say five-year timeline and you five-year timeline See, I I feel a little bit bad because you know normally I you know that's the last thing I'd ever do is wish for anybody to lose their job. But you know in this particular case, it's it's more than justified. I mean, it's just they have done such horrible horrible things. It's way overdue for some serious, you know, house cleaning and and you know writing the ship over at DC. So. I'm curious to see where this whole thing plays out. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not completely convinced that you know it's going to go you know 
completely the way that we want it to or that I want it to. But it's it's interesting that at least it looks like maybe some forward progress is finally happening. They're they're at least acknowledging that they have a problem. So we'll see. But it's it's long overdue. I got involved in a uh, Facebook conversation, a private message conversation, where you know it was rapid fire back and forth. So it really felt like a conversation with Dan DiDio one time, and uh, I don't know. I, I have a soft spot for him. I, I kind of you know like him ever since then. Didn't didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other until then, but we, we were going back and forth talking. You know, memories of Brooklyn. We kept comparing some notes, different comic stores that we both actually frequented together, or. Not together, but we both frequented. Uh, so I kind of like Dan Tadio. Has nothing to do with anything I have, that's published by DC. Right. I have nothing against the man personally. You know, I I, I don't. I mean, you know, he he seems like he was a really nice person, and you know, the the times I met him, he was very nice and everything. I have nothing against the man on a personal level. I'm sure he's a great human being. You know, but. Professionally speaking, I just I, I I cannot endorse the job that he's done. I I hold him, you know, highly responsible for you know just bad decisions that DC has made during his tenure there. And I think, frankly, I think just think it's time for him to go. I'd rather have had it, you know, where he would step down. You know, if he does end up ousted, you know, I would rather he had stepped down gracefully and you know. I'd rather he'd fix the damn problem, honestly. That's what I wished all these years would happen, because I think he's perfectly capable of it. You know, he professes to love comics, and, you know, he professes to love a lot of the same old comics that we do. So I continue to be baffled by by him and people like him, you know, like Joey Casada. There's another guy that I think truly does love the medium. And he loves the old material, and he seems like he's well-versed in it. So why do they keep making these just bonehead decisions that piss all over this old stuff that they claim that they love and these characters that they claim that they love? That's what I don't understand. And that's where I think the true crime in this whole thing is. You know, you tell me you love this, but then all you do is piss on it. So I, I don't get that. So, you know, like I say, at this point, I think, you know, if, if you're not going to do the job, then make way, you know, let somebody come in that, that is going to do it right. And at this point, I think he's just, he's overstayed his, his welcome, you know? So I don't know. We'll see. But so far, I mean, his, his and, uh, and Jim Lee's names have been bandied about, but whether they'll actually be ousted or not, you know, who the hell knows? So I don't know. They've weathered other storms over there, so maybe they'll weather this one too. But it sure would be nice to, you know, it's. I, I typed something up a, a long time ago and, and put it up online when there was another one of those, you know, debates that goes around Facebook from time to time. You know, how do you think we could fix comics? And I think this one was specifically, you know, how do you think we could fix DC comics? And I had it in like, I think it was five or six bullet points. And that was one of the big ones right there is they need just, they just need to just clean house creatively, you know, top to bottom, just sweep the friggin' house and, and start over. And that kind of sounds like that's where they're headed with this thing. So we'll see, mm. but I don't know. I, one way or the other, I took it as a good sign. You know, it's, it's at least a sign that they know that they have a problem and it looks like, you know, they're, they're trying to move in a direction of addressing that problem. So we'll see. All right. 
So, all that said, uh, we got some comics to talk about. We do. Uh, whose book is older, yours or mine, Scott? I have no idea. Mine is yes. from 2006. And mine is from 1990. So, oh, yeah, yeah Bill, good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember yeah, who Bill. brought what. The so, old one. I took what I thought would be a fun issue. Yeah, thanks. Green <laughs> Arrow number 28, uh, which has a crossover or a meeting, team-up, whatever you want to call it, between Green Arrow and Warlord, two Mike Rell uh, standards who kind of look alike, and that was part of the fun of, or part of the plot is how they, they're kind of mistaken for each other. And I don't know what the circumstances is in the story that Warlord is out of his fantasy world and in Seattle where uh, Oliver Queen is with Diana Lance. Uh, but anyway, he is there. The cover, uh, which is, I don't know if it's a Jurgens cover. I think it is. Uh, but it's got the two, ma- you know, the Warlord and Green Arrow standing back to back, looking at the reader. And then... In front, superimposed in front of them is uh, Diana Lanson in kind of a uh, defensive posture, like ready, ready to fend off any attack. And uh, it's, I think it's a fairly good cover, but not as compelling as I wish it was. Right. Anyway, the uh, story is scripted by Mike Grell. Penciled is by Dan Jurgens, ink by Dick Giordano, which is our uh, that's what I thought. Which yeah. is our in, inside uh, team. Dan Jurgens is the penciler. Dick Giordano <clears throat> and McLaughlin are the inkers, and uh, lettering is by Co Stanza. <clears throat> so, the story opens with some mob guys all pissed off because Oliver Queen uh, did something to his brother-in-law or whatever. It opens with, a, it, it, strangely enough, the, the fir- first page is not a splash page. It's a, a five-panel grid. But then we have a two-page splash after that. The title of the issue is Siege. And as it opens up, apparently uh, Warlord has just entered Oliver Queen's home and laid him out. Uh, and he's, he's pissed off because people keep mistaking him for Oliver Queen and attacking him. So then uh, Diana Lance... Approaches asking what's going on. Warlord is kind of a uh, male chauvinist to her, and she then decks him. So then the people start. I just have to interject. Go ahead. It's it's Dinah, like Dinah. That is correct. You're right. uh, I've made that mistake in the past. (laughs) And I'm going to keep doing it. Anyway. (laughs) You prick. uh, And I wish to keep on doing it. Interesting. Because it hurts you. And I wish to keep on hurting you. <laughs> they say revenge is a dish best served cold. And it's very cold in Oviedo. It's not the Klingons that say that so much. as Isn't that, isn't that a Chinese proverb? Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. That's, that's Chinese, like you, Klingon. Like, like you can't appreciate Shakespeare until you've heard it in its original well, how Klingon. Would Khan, how would Khan know a Klingon proverb anyway? He's been, All he he's, had was uh, he's been well, defrosted for twenty years. Yeah, but he didn't have a data pad on there on the planet, right? He was living out of the holdout. Uh, we don't have time to go into. Get yeah, back here. He, he he was a fast reader, and he was reading a lot, a lot of stuff while he was laid up in sick bay on the Enterprise in the original episode. That that's yeah. No, I, I think he. I still wonder how his crew turned out to all be seventeen years old. 
I think you're confusing him with uh, with uh, Gary Mitchell when he was fast reading all the stuff when he had the silver glowing eyes. Or uh, he's burned through the entire ship's or, library. Or Cogley. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you Diana. What's on that thing? <laughs> oh, sorry. Diana Lance uh, lays Diana? him out. Yeah. Okay. Someone's in the kitchen with her. And uh, <laughs> they know. end up make, they end up making peace. And interestingly, though, uh, Warlord. Never goes by the name Warlord in this. He goes by his actual name of Morgan. Uh, but I think I think that's because uh, you know Grell was trying to uh, have Green Arrow have a more uh, grounded, realistic, less fantasy world type stories going. Anyway, so then uh, Morgan does his whole you know his, his whole talk about how he's been away for twenty years. He's got a throw a, a, an annoying comment about Ronald Reagan in, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit in a few in, later. And then we cut over to uh, back to the mob, mob guys who are pissed off and want to send people to take care of uh, Olive, Oliver Queen. By now, our uh, two look-alike heroes have uh, made friends and they're hanging out, having coffee. And now Warlord makes a comment about Vietnam and blah, blah, blah. So as all of this is going on, they uh, the mob guys have the Pacific Gas and Electric uh, power station broken into as a uh, deter as a as a uh, I can't even think of words uh, to to get the police over there so that they could do what they Distraction? want. Distraction. Thank you. <laughs> so, and while that's. While that's going on, eventually the people start attacking uh, Ali and uh, Dinah's home, and the three of them team up and fight off all these bad guys. And there's a lot of lot of action panels with very very little dialogue as they fight people off. And there's there's some cool ones in there, like uh, where where Morgan just kind of stands with a car coming at him, and then quickly steps aside and uses his sword to, uh, I'm assuming, decapitate the driver of the car. And it ends off with wound him. Yeah, it ends off. You know, he leaves before uh, everybody can uh, come and investigate. And then, yeah, they, you know, they, as the police do come, they ask where he went, and they give the line, "Your know, second start of the right and straight on till morning." And that's where the book ends. So it's it's a oh pretty. Oh my God, he did decapitate him. Do you see the head in the third the third the last panel? The head's underneath the sheet. Oh yeah, look at that. That's cool. <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't I hadn't Sorry. noticed that the first read through. But anyway, it's it's a very very quick read, you know, as is normal for the '90s. And this was a January 1990 book, which I didn't mention before. It's I, I think it's kind of a fun story. I wanted to comment, and I was saying to Bill and and Scott earlier, I really kind of don't appreciate the comments about Ronald Reagan and about the Vietnam War. And it's not because, it's. I mean, I don't totally agree with what he's saying. Certainly about Ronald Reagan, I don't agree. Uh, but it's not because I don't agree with the comments that I have a problem with them saying it. I, I'm, I'm always open to people who think of things differently than I do. I hope people are, are you know, ready to reciprocate that uh, with my thought process. But I have a problem with just general hypocrisy when it comes to this stuff. Because I think... The same people who, who would find that very amusing and, and think it's all well you know called for would probably be really offended if those comments were about Bill Clinton or, or uh, Barack Obama. 
And and that's the thing. The, the hypocrisy bothers me a little bit. I think uh, there are far more left-wing right, you know, comic creators than there are right-wing. But when a right-wing guy puts any commentary in there on the other side of things, I think the left-wing readers would be very offended by it. So, like I said, my thought process is just that it's it's really not balanced in the way people present it, and it's not balanced in the way they receive it. I don't mind comics with a message. I don't mind comics that, you know, are trying to educate us in some way. I do mind a little bit when they editorialize. I really just, I, I don't want to get, I read comics for fun, not for politics. So again, it's not so much what he's saying that bothers me. It's just that he's saying it at all. If that's, does that make books. sense? I don't need comic books to educate me. I need comic books to entertain me. And the first half of this book, the first time I read through it, the first half I was like, you know what? If I want to watch two people go at each other with liberal and conservative snipes, I'll watch Saturday, excuse me, Sunday morning news shows, which I don't anyway because they drive me up the wall, both left and right. I'm so sick of left and right. Everything in this country anymore is how to divide people through politics, through race, through money status, through social status. Uh, you know, yeah, it's. I'm just an. Ang- I'm just an angry Bill, I guess. You know, <laughs> I. I hate social media. I think people live in their own little little pockets of their own world. Everybody filters out whatever they don't want to hear, so that all they are in is an echo chamber, and they only hear what they want to hear. And if anybody's idea other than what they think is normal, what they think is right, it is automatically wrong, and there's no discourse and discussion. Now, I'm not saying that about before anybody gets bent out of shape and thinks I'm talking directly about them. Most of the people we talk with, we don't have this issue with. There are some, not going to name them, but on a whole, most of the friends we have that we converse with on a regular basis are on each side of the aisle of things. I like to think I'm kind of along the middle, but you know what? It seems like there's no place for people in the middle anymore that you got to take a stand. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not a one-issue guy. There's other, there's some things I will lean conservative on and some things I will lean liberal on. And you know what? If you don't like it, I don't give a crap. Let me get off my soapbox. Get back to the book. Well, see, now the thing is, I don't like people who are in, I don't like when people are intolerant of other opinions. That's really what it comes down to. So, my point, as I said, is um, it's not that he made a point that I disagree with, because I can deal with that. I, I don't. I don't care. Uh, it's it's the fact that you know things are presented one way and one way only, and if you don't agree, somehow you know you're a Nazi or you're a socialist or whatever it is that either side is presenting the others as. Well, yeah. And a lot of times, I know this is getting all into pop, in not the book, but into politics. But it, when you just drown one side out and you don't want to hear what the other side says, that's not free speech. That's something totally different. That, you know, just because it, you have it, a I'm different sorry. opinion that you're not entitled to speak. And that's a lot of the way certain things are going on both sides. It, get, it gets to bullying is what happens. Yeah. And and that's and, what I don't like. And, and again, anybody whose political po- persuasion is different from mine, that's fine. 
that's not what I'm criticizing. What I'm criticizing is the intolerance of opinions that don't agree with yours. Yeah. But back to this book. Uh, the first time I read through, yeah, I was kind of like, in, in the beginning, I had to stop, and I came back to it, and then I read it when I was in a different mood. Because I've got some other things going on. You you guys know in the background of my head that's really got me spun up on certain things that I'm working through with in my personal life. Nothing bad with like my marriage or anything like that, but... Just some things going on, work and other stuff. So, so I calmed down and I read it. And when I got to the action, you know, I, I, the book is is uh, cool. I mean, I like both 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 of the characters. It is funny that they both look lo- like each other, and that uh, the warlord kind of does a dig on uh, Oliver for being short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then something about his hair receding or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and Oliver ca- calls him fatter uglier but now, now i'm not overly familiar with the character of warlord i've read a couple of things that he's been in and i remember when he was on uh, justice league unlimited but i have not had a great deal of exposure to him mm-hmm. i didn't realize because again you know we're, we're talking about just the things he's saying he gives a, an anti-ronald reagan statement and he talks about you know how the vietnam war was kind of a waste of time i did not know that he was supposed to be a liberal character because and again i haven't read him but i just kind of always thought differently because you know he was a sword and sorcery guy with you know where where, you know he kind of had a male chauvinist attitude towards dinah uh I, i just didn't think he was written that way so did mike grell create warlord I believe so, yeah. I believe so. So certainly it's within, you know, as the writer of this story, it's within his province to write him however he sees fit. Uh, I, it, just, well, we'd have it just surprised me a little, honestly. I just didn't think that those words would be coming out of his mouth. I think Darren and Ruth are a little upset that we didn't remember that. <laughs> well, and, and Darren and Ruth certainly are, are far better versed on that topic than we are being, you know, actual friends of Mike Grell. Uh so, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, they would be able to, to give us a little insight. But anyway. According, uh, to Wiki, according to Wikipedia, he did create the character. Okay. Which now, I thought so because he, you know, I, I knew he was involved in, uh, you know, in his first appearance in First Issue first issue Special. And I, I don't know if he was involved in the entire series, but I, of, you know, Warlord that, that the character wound up in, you know, the Warlord uh what do you call that? You know, self-titled book. But uh, I know he was there for most of it. I, I find it's weird because, you know, now this is going to seem like a silly thing to say, but what I was going to say before was um, I find it a bit of a stretch that he would be because of the kind of man he is, the era that he was supposedly from, which is acknowledged in this, that time works differently in Scartarsis. So, um, you know, he really is, you know, a much older character and he was in the air force. He was, uh, I forget what his rank was. He was like a Colonel or something. He was a, uh, uh, you know, an officer and that he was, you know, he also fought in Vietnam. You know, he was a Vietnam war vet. He was a pilot, which is how so, he fell yeah. into the thing from what so, I remember. You know, clearly not every single member of the armed services or every single member of the Air Force is a staunch conservative. I'm not trying to say that. 
but I know that they are predominantly conservative, and it seems that a guy of, of this stature and, and status in the Air Force, and you know, of of his rank and of the more specifically of his time, would it it it, it kind of seems a little unrealistic to me that he would be, um. You know, he he seems like he's self-proclaimed as a liberal, and that just that seems like a bit of a stretch to me. But again, you know, Grell created the character, so Grell could say whatever the hell he wants to about this guy. You know, so yeah, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, I was I. The funny thing is, um, I make no bones about the fact that I don't like Green Arrow. I've never liked Green Arrow. I think he's a friggin' boring character. And even when I've tried to get into him and the few fun times I've found him interesting or whatever, at the end of the day, not only is he, he kind of boring and kind of a one note character, he's a one trick pony really, but instead of him having an actual personality somewhere along the line with this character, somebody decided that he was the angry liberal and that's really all he ever brings to the table. So I was pleasantly surprised as I started to read this issue that, oh, we're not, you know, we're not getting him preaching in this one. It's just, you know, it's, it's a fun action piece where he's meeting the warlord and, and there, you know, there's a wink and a nod to the fact that these guys look so much alike. It's actually part of the story. So I was enjoying this, believe it or not, I was actually digging it. And then we get to that page where uh you know warlord is is lamenting the decline of the world in the 20 years that he's been away and you know i can i can take some of the things that he says and i can even take you know the dig at teddy kennedy and the dig at ronald reagan but it's the thing that bugged me the most and this is probably where i'm gonna catch all my shit but it has to be said where he's standing at the fireplace and he's lamenting the deaths of you know all these celebrities of his time, you know Elvis Presley and Ricky Nelson, and he names a whole bunch of different people. And he says, "But most of our and most of all, uh, he says, uh, and most of what I knew, tradition, values." Now I'll be the first one to tell you, even back at this time, this is what 1990 something. Yeah, I was starting to feel the same way. Young as I was, I was noticing the same thing, that there was a serious decline in the morals of this country. And uh, it did seem like the, the old traditions and the old values of this country were, were in a decline. And you can definitely see that today, you know, 20-some years removed from this, that, yeah, this country has been in a downward spiral for a long time when it comes to decency and morals and, you know, what he says here, traditions and values. Yes, I completely agree with that. Who do you think is to blame for that? It is not who he's attacking. And that really pissed me off with this, because if you want to point fingers and you want to place blame, guys like Ronald Reagan are not the ones that you want to be pointing those fingers at. So I found that to be incredibly hypocritical, that you're going to come into this and have this guy lament these things and then blame 
one of the staunchest supporters of keeping. I mean, what the hell do you think the definition of the word conservative is? That's the literal definition of conservative. They are trying to conserve a way of life and a, an, an upholding of traditions and values that made this country what it was. And so I just, I was really, I, I hate to use the word because I, I know it's so overused these days, but I, there's no other better way to put it. I was offended. It really did offend me. And I, it bothers me because, man, I love Mike Grell. I, you know, I've always liked Mike Grell. Since I was a kid and didn't even know his name, I've loved Mike Grell. Um, so it bugs me to, to read this because... I'm hoping against hope that this is him writing the character and that this isn't really what this man believes. Because if that's true, it's like that thing we talked about before that sometimes when you learn a little bit too much about how the, what, what the hell's the, the thing that we said about how the sausage is made, you know, I don't want to know, you know, if this guy, and it's happened to me way too much in recent years where some celebrity, and it's usually in the world of comics, that I loved and respected, and then I find out that they're just another douchebag. Man, it would kill me to find that out about Mike Grell. So if it's true, I just don't want to f- know. And, and I'm going I'm to I'm gonna interrupt just for a moment, and I'm going to clarify to anybody listening to this, we don't think that if somebody's liberal, that makes them a douchebag. You can be liberal, and you can be a great person. But there are liberals out there who are douchebags, and yes. there are conservatives out there who are douchebags. We're not trying to throw, so nobody starts saying, oh, look, they're being all, you know, anti-liberal again. No, we're not anti-liberal, we're anti-hypocrisy, and anti... Anti-douchebag, uh, <laughs> yes, we are, yes, yeah, we yeah, are. That's exactly what it comes down to, we're anti-douchebag, that really is what it is. And and you, the, the two are not necessarily... Uh, you know, tied together, exclusive, but yeah. yeah, they're not mutually exclusive somehow. Uh, you you can you know I I know plenty of liberal people, and this is the last time we got involved in a conversation like this. There was a whole controversy about it, so I want to try and see if I can just diffuse that a little bit. I have found, and I am conservative. I am I am conservative. I am not a conservative. I am generally conservative in my views. I've had conversations with people in our community who are admittedly openly very liberal but i found to be good people and we've had talks about political issues where we've been able to agree on like almost everything it's generally our goals are the same we're all looking for the same kind of things i think the area where we disagree is maybe how to go about getting to those goals sometimes we disagree on that so and this, this is, to me, this is one of the problems with our country right now, is it's being portrayed that if you're conservative, you have to argue with everything a liberal says. And if you're liberal, you have to argue with everything a conservative says. And it shouldn't be that way. There should be an effort to say, how can we go about just making things better? What, not what's better for my political agenda, what's better for the country? And I think people forget that because they get their agenda going and they're so busy listening to whatever the talking points of their party are that they stop thinking about reality. Yeah. Well said. So 
That's that's the thing is you know I, I just want to make it clear I'm not blasting anybody for being liberal, you know. I'm gonna give the old the old uh, you know some of my best friends are liberals. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you know you know what I'm saying. I, I there are plenty of liberal people out there who I have great respect for. It's not necessarily, you know, that just because they're liberal I dislike them or I disagree with them on everything. No, I, that's that's not the case at all. Uh, I I just I don't like when people just automatically go to their party when they start putting these memes up that have no basis in reality, and I, I you know it, that bothers me and it happens on both sides. Let's not be hypocrites. It happens on both sides. I just don't like it, and I think the divide between the two sides is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's what I have a problem with. People aren't willing to meet in the middle anymore. Right. So that's my, that's Paul Spataro's political excuse me political agenda. So the art's good. <laughs> yeah, the art is good. The story yeah. isn't bad. I, I I I could do without some of the commentary, but the the story isn't bad. It's fun. It's light. It's a light story. It mm-hmm. is, yeah. Except when we figured out he really did decapitate that guy. Jeez. Do you really think the do you really think the art is good? It's not. I don't think it's great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I, I don't think it's great, but I think it. I I think, and and I don't want to criticize it too much because I like Giordano and I I don't really know McLaughlin that well, but I think it may be the inking because the story, like the storytelling and the uh, the angles and everything, I think are pretty good. So I'm I'm. You know, I think I'm. I've. This is almost becoming like a theme on this show that I like the art, I don't like the inking. I think it happens a lot. Yeah, I. I can't help but think that a lot of the blame here has got to be on the inking because I'm a Dan Dragon's mark, especially from this era right here. You know, his. I like his early stuff the very best, and. I, de- I generally like uh, Dick Giordano a lot, especially as an inker. And there are some uh, some panels and even some whole pages in here that I really like that I think look very good and that I think look like a nice melding of Jurgens and Giordano. And then there's other ones that I, I think are just not good at all. I think part of the problem... Also, is uh, I don't think the colorist did any favors here because the coloring is I, I just don't care for it. Plus, this is when books started to be printed on that on that weird paper too, so everything's a little too. It's either the brights are too bright or the or the darks are too dark or muddy. So it, it's very disjointed in the way that it looks. It's bright, it's dark, it's bright, it's dark, it, and nothing's balanced. As far as you know, tones and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know, and, I, mean, and I, I don't think the if, darkness is ever based on the inking. The darkness always seems to be the tones of the color. And I think you're right. I didn't notice color, it until yeah. you're saying it now. I don't like the coloring in this issue at all. It's 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 too it's too pastel looking in a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. If I had to take a stab, I would. I think. I think Giordano did like the first half of this book and McLaughlin did the second half about page 12 where we get the multi-panel shots of the the break-in at the different places. It almost seems like that's where this art starts to change. Yeah. And even it... I think you're right, yeah. It just looks different. Like before that, I'd say that's Giordano. It really... With all the close-ups and 
and the anatomies and everything, I th- I think that's where it changes is right about page twelve, and then it they, because after that it just doesn't quite look the same to me. Good, good. It's call. close. Good call. I think you're right. Because even look at the last page. If you compare it to the last page, definitely from the last to first page, that is not the same inker because it doesn't have the same level of detail. I I, I think. Right. No, I agree with you. What is it, Frank McLaughlin? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Is it Kyle McLaughlin? Oh wait, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not. I'm not really as familiar with his stuff as I am Giordano, and I've always liked Giordano's work. And and I I think you're right. I think I was. I think I may have been a little too harsh on the inking, especially in the in the first half. Now that Bill pointed that out, and I think a lot of my problem might have it might be more in, more with the coloring. Yeah. It's you know what maybe maybe they were getting into the computer coloring at this point I don't know possibly hmm. I'm thinking though just flipping back through this I think that Bill's onto something as far as there being a split in the inking like one inker did the first half and then another inker did the second half but the thing is though I think it's flip flopped I think actually I think Giordano did the second half well really? if that's the case I like the first half better anyway. Mm. Yeah, I do. I like the first half, and I'm looking at the second half, and it pains me to say it, but I'm pretty sure that this is Giordano, and it's not real strong. It's, it's. I mean, it's good, but it's it's not real strong for Giordano, but I, I, I just, I feel like I see a lot of his, you know, his trademarks in this. I don't know. It's tough to tell. Well, you and, know what I'm... I'm wondering if maybe, because I don't know if there was a regular team on this book or not. I, I was not following the book during this time. But I wonder if maybe uh, maybe this was a time crunch thing where, uh, where you know, one of them was supposed to ink the book and couldn't get it done in time, so they split it up. Or maybe Jurgens took longer penciling it than they expected, so they needed to split it up. But maybe there was a time crunch involved is what I'm wondering. Maybe that's why Could the inking be. doesn't look quite up to what we'd want it to be but again uh, i'm i'm more and it's something i didn't notice until you pointed it out to me but i'm more bothered by the coloring than the inking now that i'm looking at it more closely i don't know there are i'm just flipping through real quick here and there's an awful lot of issues where um it is these three and even prior to that i'm looking right now at issue 20 and ed hannigan was the penciler but it's giardeno and mclaughlin are uh, are the inkers so i don't know Looking to see if I can find anything that says like who inked what. And I'm not finding it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess that's it for this. <laughs> I almost thought we dropped we've, a call. We've like, worn ourselves uh, out here. You want? Okay. You want to, are we ready to rate it or anything else? Yeah. All right. Uh, I feel like this cover should be so much more than it is. It's kind because of cool. Because it's got a cons- white background, and you don't like white backgrounds. That you know what? In this, in this one, that's true. And there's been a couple of times. We, there's been a couple of times where you've pointed that out to me, uh, and you've said that where there's a stark background. Uh, but I have liked it just the same. This one, you're right. I, I don't like the white background then. Because you're a flip flopper. 
Well, you know what? It's, 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 a, it's a case-by-case basis. I don't have a hard okay. and fast rule. You, you're allowed to have a difference of opinion. You don't have to be locked into one opinion all the time. So this one, I really don't care for the white background. I think if it had, I think if this cover had a darker background, it would have been more compelling. They could have just had the cityscape of Seattle in the background or something. Yeah, cityscape in the background would be fine. Even if it had a like a black background, I think this cover would look better. I think it would make the characters pop more. So, you know, what do you Yeah, what you because it would make their hair stand out, for one yeah, thing. They're, they're brightly colored I mean, characters. They, one's blonde and one's their hair is white, so if you did have a black background, that would really make it snap. But they're brightly colored characters, so I think against a dark background it would be more they'd pop more and there would be more contrast so the white background does take away from it i think everybody's drawn fairly well uh i'm not crazy about the uh the detail on dinah's face but now, uh, wait a minute you, giordano did the cover right that's what you said you look at that compared to the first half of the book that looks kind of the same inking to me yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I'm going to disagree with Scott. I'm going to go on Team Bill. <laughs> but anyway, Yay. anyway, back to the cover. I, uh, I think this this could this like this potentially could be a B plus cover, but because I don't like the background, I'm giving it a B minus. I really think it, it drops because the cover could be better. Uh, the interior art, uh, it's not terrible. It's 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 easy to follow. The action is pretty kinetic in it. Uh, it's just the detail work that I'm not crazy about, and the coloring as we've kind of gone over and over and over. So I'm gonna say a I'm gonna also say a B minus on the interior art. I think it could be so much better, but it's not terrible. Uh, and the story is, you know, as a general rule, this is a fun story, and I kind of like the 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 fact that they they had the fun to put Warlord and, and Green Arrow together in a story. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a B plus for the story, even though I didn't like some of the commentary in it. Uh, and overall, I'll give the book just a straight B. All right. Um, I got no big qualms with the cover. I mean, yeah, I think if it was a different color in the background, other than white, would work work better. Um. I really like the detail in it too. It's cool with the cross sword and the crossbow and arrow. The the way they're holding their their signature weapons over their shoulders. It's a little with uh, Dinah, Diana, Dina. <laughs> anyway, with the black canary, Bruce Lee. Bruce. <laughs> I that could be Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um. She's the only thing that just really isn't that. I don't know. I mean, it's okay that she's there, but it's kind of like she didn't really need to be there. But that's right. okay. Or maybe just well, you couldn't have really had three figures if she was standing in between them. Then it wouldn't really make the cover. You could have done yeah. that. Why couldn't well, you do yeah. that? Seriously, what, make her full size the same as them, like yeah. standing in between them. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe have them face the other way like they're going at each other and she's holding them back with her hand. Or, or you have the two of them in exactly the position they're in and her in the middle facing the reader. With, with, with her arms crossed. Yeah. 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 I would have liked to see that. But that's not the cover we got. And we got a graded cover we have. So I'm going to say it is a B for the cover. Interior art. Um, 
uh, yeah, it looks like it changes in there. The detail gets a little bit muddled. Um, but, and it's always nice when you can convey action with no words. So you just have, they don't even have sound effects in there. But, I mean, did did you guys not, notice that? Like the I window crashing, the guns. But you hear it when, as you're reading it. it. You don't need it. Um, yeah, there's like no sound effects except maybe when uh, Warlord is stabbing a guy with a sword at, at, at one point. Um, so art-wise, I'm going to give that a B as well. The story, like I said, I was in a bit of a grumpy place when I first started to read it. So I had to come back to it later with a clearer head. Um, I know more about Green Lantern than I do... Green Lantern. <laughs> Green Arrow than I do Warlord. So it's nice to always get exposed to him a little bit more and pick up some more about him. Um, the commentary aside, uh, B- minus for the story. Did I give a grade for the art? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, like a B. B overall. Okay. You're up, Scott. I like this cover. I, I do. I like how Green Arrow looks. I like how Warlord looks. I, I you know, I'm so tempted to give this uh, like a B, possibly a B plus. But the thing that kills it is that uh, Dinah right there in the middle. She's. I mean, I, I guess they're going for something artsy fartsy where she's a different size than them and all that. But it just. You know, I know Photoshop wasn't a thing back then, but she looks badly Photoshopped into the picture. It just, it doesn't work. And plus, she looks like a dude. She looks like a dude wearing a woman's shirt. It just, <laughs> it doesn't work. It's She's she's bad art, and they're great. And it, it just, it, it really accentuates it, you know, when you're looking at how good they look versus how she looks. So... You know, she unfortunately drags this cover down. So I'm going to say, uh, I, I mean, I still like it. I still dig it. I mean, I'm going to say uh, uh, a B minus. I'm tempted to go lower, but I really do like how they, you know, the guys look on there. It's it's a dynamic cover. It's just she needs to be, you know, removed or the same size as them. One of the two. Either take her off or make her the same size. But she looks kind of silly the way she is right there. Interior art, I so want to give this a higher grade because, I mean, I really like the guys that worked on this as far as, you know, the, the pencils and the inks. Uh, I like all these artists, but it just, I don't know, there's something not gelling here properly. And, again, I think a, I think a ton of the fault of it is the uh, is both the printing and the uh, the colors. It just, it's, it's just kind of not, not pleasant to look at a lot of it despite the fact that you know it's well laid out and uh, it's well illustrated it's just it's kind of ugly um and again a lot of that it's really just down to the the coloring process um so overall i I think i'm gonna go i think i'm gonna go a c plus um because i've seen so much better from from everybody involved in this so yeah I, i i i mean i I don't hate it, but I'm not crazy about it, and I should be crazy about Jurgens from this time period because the guy. I mean, I, I love the guy. I've always thought he had really great artistic chops, 
And, uh, you know, he's a hell of a layout guy. I mean, some of the panels here are really fantastic. It's just the, the final delivery on them just isn't quite there like it needs to be. And then story-wise, uh, I'm going to go middle of the road C on it. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was, eh, that's another Green Arrow story. So uh, overall great on this, I think I'd go C+. A little bit better than, you know, average comic story. So there you go. All right. So now we have one more book to look at. All right. So let me bring up my synopsis here. All right. So our next one here, this one's kind of a weird one. Um, This one just kind of fell in my lap at some point. I'm not even sure how I learned about it or anything. And I was struck immediately by the cover on it. Um, So this book is Red Menace. Red Menace number one. (sighs) Uh, which is cover dated uh, January 2007. It was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, November 22nd, 2006. Cover price on it was uh, $2.99. It had uh, different covers. There was at least one variant cover of this, but the one that that struck me and the one that's on the copy that we're all looking at is uh, drawn by Jerry Ordway. And the cover looks very much like a newspaper. And it just says Red Menace. And then underneath the headline of Red Menace, which is all in red ink, it says Eagle testifies before HUAC. Now, HUAC was an acronym for the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, which was a real thing uh, that happened in the 1950s. And it's where um, Senator Joe McCarthy was calling different Americans from from different walks of life. What? I thought it was Charlie McCarthy. Damn. (laughs) Before the committee uh, and investigating their possible ties and connections with, uh, with Russia and with communism. And... You know, this was a, a, you know, relatively famous or infamous chapter in American history where, um, you know, lives were, were affected and some, in some instances, lives were destroyed uh, because of these hearings. You know, there were, there were a number of, uh, you know, probably the most famous ones were a lot of the Hollywood folks that were called before the, the committee and blacklisted uh, because of things that, that were revealed or things that were, they were accused of. Uh, over the course of uh, you know of the time that HUAC existed and everything, I won't profess to know all the ins and outs of it. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things I've always been kind of mildly interested in, but you know, not having lived through that time or read up on it extensively. I mean, I know about it in kind of the broad strokes, and frankly, I think a lot of what I know about it is uh, is from uh, you know in DC Comics. Uh, the Justice Society was was very famously brought before uh, HUAC, and that's essentially when you know it was a retcon from uh, from Roy Thomas. But that's essentially when the Justice Society ceased to exist in the 1950s. Uh, they were brought before HUAC, and they refused to reveal their identities before the committee. And so they were given an ultimatum, and essentially they they took it, which was, you know, if you're not going to reveal yourselves, you have to go away, which is what they did. And they went underground at that point. And I've always been kind of fascinated by by that angle. So I would have actually been more interested in it from the fictitious angle of how it affected the, the characters of the DC universe at that time, as opposed to, you know, the real event and, you know, the real happenings and all that. 
But I guess this interested me just in the aspect of, you know, here was another superhero. Granted, one, I have no idea who the guy is, but another superhero testifying before HUAC. And that, that was kind of what grabbed me. So I was just fascinated with the cover of this. Plus, you know, Jerry Ordway, the artist, had ties to uh, Justice Society and, and those characters. Uh, and here he is, you know, illustrating this cover on here. So it was enough to get me to crack the cover on it. So here's the story uh, of this particular issue, issue one. So Dateline, October 1953. Masked hero, the Eagle. Uh, and for a visual on this guy, I think Captain America crossed with like Hawkman is essentially what the Eagle looks like. The Eagle testifies before the House Un-American Activities Committee. He pointedly answers Senator, uh, Senator Joe McCarthy's famous, Sir, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? With a stern, Communist? No, sir. I'm a patriot. To emphasize his point and stance, the Eagle, as pre- previously agreed, removes his cowl and stands revealed to the stunned assemblage as Steve Tremaine, war hero and recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Noticeably rattled by this unforeseen revelation, McCarthy concludes the session, and Tremaine, unmasked, leaves the courthouse surrounded by newshounds and photographers' flashbulbs. Later, as Tremaine returns to his apartment, he finds fellow superhero The Blur waiting for him. The Blur, think The Flash, it's essentially the same character. The two argue politely about Tremaine's discussion to, uh, or excuse me, Tremaine's decision to unmask. With the blur admitting that he'd hoped that the Eagle would stand with him in his League of Heroes against McCarthy's witch hunt, but the Eagle cares only for the people of his city, not politics, and feels his anonymity is a small price to pay for being allowed to continue his war on crime. Okay, says the blur. I'm not here to preach. But now that they've got your name, there's nowhere left to hide. And he cautions Steve to watch his back. Soon, Tremaine is summoned once again before the committee and, feeling he has nothing to hide, willingly agrees to appear to answer their questions. This time, however, things go very differently. Quick lip service is paid to Tremaine's exemplary service record before the attacks begin. Seems that Tremaine had established a friendship of sorts with one Ivan Petrovich, now the Soviet hero known as the Bear, while the U.S. and Russia were allies during World War II. Tremaine and Petrovich have remained in touch over the years, despite the Cold War that now exists between their respective countries, going so far as to even have been photographed together in a hotel bar behind the Iron Curtain as recently as a year and a half ago. The quote-unquote evidence is damning, but Tremaine remains defiant that he has done nothing wrong and has only ever done what his country has asked of him. But the damage has been done. Soon, the news is everywhere that one of America's greatest heroes is a red. In his apartment, Tremaine rages whilst listening to a radio report that labels him a pinko. His daughter, Helen, arrives, wanting to hear the truth for herself. It's a pack of lies, he tells her and they discuss what's, uh, what he's going to do now. While they talk, Tremaine notices that a sedan parked across the street hasn't moved all day. Infuriated, he storms downstairs to confront the occupants. He is stunned to find that they're no ordinary G-men. The man in charge is Kruger, a former Nazi of Tremaine's acquaintance, along with a dwarf named, uh, codenamed the Mole, whom Tremaine has previously sent to Sing Sing, 
and a huge ape of a guy Tremaine doesn't know but calls Son of Kong. Tremaine, already pissed, completely loses it when Kruger threatens his daughter, but Son of Kong grabs him and heaves him bodily over the traffic and across the street through the glass door of his apartment building's lobby, uh, where he skids across the floor and slams headfirst into a potted plant, shattering the base of it with his skull. Meanwhile, in Hollywood, a young boy with some sort of psychokinetic powers and a fanboy infatuation with the eagle decides to go in action and go into action as the Gray Falcon to fill his uh, sideline hero's shoes. He tries to apprehend some underworld hoods, but ends up in way over his head and the recipient of a hail of mobsters gunfire. And that's the first issue. What did you guys think of this? I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a good read. Now, here, here I'm going I'm to give the other side of the equation a little bit. I think uh, the Red Menace scare of the 1950s, from everything I've ever heard about it, was an overreaction by the conservative side. And it's a, a dark chapter in American history, really. I mean, people ru- people's lives were ruined, as you mentioned, uh, over, over you know paranoia from communism. Uh, and I think this, this issue kind of... I don't know, you know, I mean, I wasn't around when this was going on, but this this feels like it's accurate. Like, just not not in the events, because there were no superheroes that I know of, uh, but just in, in the overall feeling that people had, the way they, you know, the paranoia, the way that they uh, were quick to turn on people. It feels right, the way it's written. Uh, I like the artwork. I yeah. think this, this, is, this is, you know, I don't know if there's photo referencing going on. It looks like there might be at some points, but I still find the artwork to be... Uh, pretty compelling and, and the storytelling to be good. Uh, it is a little bit more of a, uh, a subtle hue on the coloring, clearly computerized coloring, but it, but in this one, in comparison to the last one, in this one it seems to work. Uh, and I, I also like the way it ended on that cliffhanger. I think that was pretty cool. I like the way that the, uh, you know, the, the former villains are being embraced now because... They can't decide who the, who the heroes are and who the villains are because of the level of paranoia in the government at this oh, point. Oh, come on. That would never happen. Bert NASA! Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that... that It's funny you say that, Bill, because that really did remind me of that, that, you know, after World War II, um, you know, there was the whole Project Paperclip where uh, former Nazi scientists were incorporated into, um, you know, American... Uh, interests and you know <laughs> largely NASA came out of it you know uh, uh, Werner von Braun was the head Nazi rocket guy and sent us to the moon so yeah I didn't find that I, I found that an interesting way to use these guys in that story because it didn't seem all that far-fetched yeah I, I thought this was this was a good read I've never read any other issues of it I am curious too I don't know if I have a will but I am curious too I'm curious to see where this story goes uh, overall, you know, I thought it was a, it was a good read. Uh, you know, and again, I think it presents. You know, we are getting political issues here. They are somewhat outdated, but I guess the old expression is, you know, if you don't remember history, you're damned to repeat it. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, the thing it kept bringing to mind for me, I don't know how how 
closely you guys watch the show Seinfeld, but there was an episode on the Red Scare on that where uh, <laughs> Kramer yeah, Kramer he becomes names. a communist communist, and he's uh, he's working as a Santa Claus in a department store, and the kid asks for something. He says, "Oh, you don't want that from here. Those are made by kid, you know oppressed children laborers. You want to go to such and such store to get it." And the kid yells out, "Santa's a commie!" <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about the one in, when they were in the Chinese restaurant. It's the same the episode. Guys... It's oh, the same it? episode. Okay. Ned Isaacoff. He named names. Uh, I, I just, you know, I kept thinking of that as I was reading this. So, it, you know, even though it's a pretty heavy st- subject, uh, I kept laughing because I kept thinking about the episode of Seinfeld. Uh, you know, but I, I really did enjoy this, and I'm kind of monopolizing the stage right here. Bill, why don't you say what you think of it? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's fine. I've been doing some background research while you guys have been talking, so keep talking. I'm I found out who this Eugene McCarthy is. It, no, it I know who that was. It occurs to me that I, I forgot the credits here. I jumped from cover price right into the synopsis. Uh, there's actually three people credited as the writer on this. You've got Danny Bilson, Paul DeMio, and uh, Adam Brody. None of them are names that I'm terribly familiar with. And then, of course, the uh, the art chores here. Um, Jerry Ordway was the penciler, and uh, Al Vey was the inker. Now I've seen these guys work together before. I have to admit, I'm I'm not real crazy about Al Vey's inks. I like on, his brother uh, Oi. <laughs> Oi Vey. <laughs> but uh, so I'm sorry, I'm really, getting stupid, but I can't help it. I really do like the art a lot. I'm I'm just yeah. I, I think you know if there if there's one aspect of it I, I would change. I would change the the inking on this. But other than that, yeah, I really like the art. I think the computerized coloring works very well the the uh the mood and the tone of it are like pitch perfect and the different scenes the lighting's just right and it, it feels as you say it feels like the period that it's supposed to be and i think one of the things that really helps is you can tell that ordway really you know was going all out to capture the period you know just i love that page where uh, Tremaine comes back to his apartment with the bag of groceries and, and everything looks authentic to the time period. That's so cool. And there's a lot of that through the whole series. Cause that's the other thing with this is that I was so taken with this first issue that, uh, I, I ended up reading the, it's a six issue mini altogether and I blew through it. I mean, it, it's a quick read. I mean, this first issue, I mean, the, my synopsis was rather long, but it's a quick read. I mean, you can blow right through it. And I blew through all six issues in probably under a half an hour. I mean, it was it was a real quick read. Um, I enjoyed it, but uh, it, I, I will spoil a, a little bit just to say I felt like it was kind of unfulfilling in the long run because I, I was hoping it was going in certain places that it didn't. And I felt like six issues was just enough to whet my appetite as opposed to have a, have a complete story with a satisfying resolution. I, I actually wanted more when it was over, um, but more in, in both that, hey, I really like this, give me more, but also more in that, well, you had me intrigued, but now you're just, and now it's over, you know, and, and I don't really feel like I got, you know, the whole meal, you know what I mean? Well, so, do you think it was supposed to have been continued, or... I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, my impression was that it was originally, you know, it was just going to be the mini. Um, let me flip back to the, yeah, see the very first page or the uh, cover rather does say one of six. 
but whether it was supposed to go beyond the six, I don't. I, well, yeah, yeah that doesn't that doesn't know. mean they didn't have aspirations to get a second miniseries. If right, well, and this I, is a Wildstorm imprint, which later I think was sucked up by DC, mm-hmm. or actually was was this a it's, DC? It's DC at, at this time. Yeah. Okay, it, it was separate, and yeah. So, ah, uh, hmm. And see, I don't know. I seriously, I don't know anything about Wildstorm, so I don't know. Is is are these original characters to this, or is this Eagle guy somebody I should know because he was in some other series? I don't know. I mean, my impression was that this was all fresh with all fresh characters. Like this is the Eagle's, you know, first appearance and everything. Although we're seeing him at the end of his career. But I don't know. I mean, is he a character from something else that Wildstorm was doing? I, I really seriously have no idea. Um, but I was intrigued by it. Um, this this first issue, anyway, was was really good. And uh, and I really enjoyed it. I felt like it, it gave you enough of Tremaine to start to care about his character and, and what was happening to him and want to go forward. And... I, I think one of the things it does most masterfully at all uh, of all is that there's no ambiguity because they they could I think have have made it interesting to where you had doubts about the eagle. Well, was there really something here? Is he actually a red? And they never really went that way. I mean, it's you you feel right from the very beginning of the story that this is a guy that loves his country, has done everything that his country has asked for him of him and more has really given his all and now look what they're doing to the guy and that was really the power of the series overall i mean like i say as unsatisfying as i felt like it was at the end of the story that does carry through all six issues is i mean spoiler but things get really bad for this poor guy and you just feel for him because he hasn't done anything wrong i mean the only thing that you could really accuse him of is friendship you know, he was friends with Petrovich, who just happens to be a commie. But that doesn't... But, doesn't but he also change. teamed up with him, according to this story, at a time when he was an ally. Right, exactly. And, and now they're, they're damning him for teaming up with somebody who was an ally yeah. at the time he teamed up with him. Which is just, you know, exactly. like it's crazy when you think about it. But I think from everything I've ever read about McCarthyism, that's pretty much what went on. Yeah, exactly. That that's the thing is it feels very even though we're talking about superheroes, it feels very real because things similar to this did happen to real people and real lives were affected and in some instances destroyed because of things that happened with these hearings. I mean, and average people you know, that's really the I mean, hmm? you know, fa- you know, everyday average people and also people in in um in, in Hollywood, writers, directors, actors—you know—one of the one of the casualties of this era for a long time, who actually left the country at one point, was actually, uh, um, you know, was Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This, uh, was, this was a big deal when it happened. I, I was getting hung up on his name Tremaine because it was ringing a bell in my head. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I think it's because my son read a book like a year or two ago in school called Johnny Tremaine, which was like mm-hmm. a children. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, but I kept, I've been trying to find a link between that and I just, I can't find one. 
I don't think there is one. I think it's just a coincidence. I don't think he named him Tremaine for any specific reason that I know of that linked linked back to probably, this book. Probably not, but I mean that name is you know for anybody that's familiar with Johnny Tremaine. Now Johnny Tremaine, to the best of my knowledge, is actually a fictional character. Yes, it is. Yeah, but you know the the connotation there is you know American hero. You know, if you if you're thinking Johnny Tremaine, so I mean, maybe, you know, yeah, I yeah. I, I would think that's what they were trying to link it to, to 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 give you an automatic. They wanted you to to be a you know to to find this character appealing, and and to relate to him and to relate to the troubles that he's going through. So they want you to think of him as a hero. So what better way to do that than kind of subliminally give it a name that you might not recognize offhand but you associate with a heroic story right i think i think that's to me that's that's really you know well well thought out and and i'm sure i'm i'm thinking that it's intentional Hmm. and and i and i think you know i'm thinking that on the positive end obviously you know while the character himself it's it's kind of funny because you know, clearly, this is a DC. I know it's Wildstorm, and it's not in the DC universe, but it is a DC book, and it, it feels like a DC book. It real reads like a DC book. You've got the Blur, who is really the only member of a team that's alluded to. We didn't, we never see the League of Heroes, but they're alluded to. The Blur even looks like he could be a younger version of uh, of Jay Garrick, the Flash. You know, the Golden Age Flash. So you've got that feel, but then Tremaine himself, for all intents and purposes, he's Captain America. His first name's Steve. So, you know, that's what I found fascinating about this is it's almost, in a weird way, it's almost like a what-if story. It's almost like, you know, say say Steve... Say he didn't get frozen in the ice. Yeah, he never got frozen. He lived long enough to live into the 50s. He still had a career. He was still active. He was still patriotic. What if Steve Rogers, Captain America, had been called before HUAC and accused of this, and it destroyed him? And that's essentially the story you've got here. And from that angle, that's where I was kind of he fascinated with it. Because, well, what, what I yeah. find interesting about that comparison, and I hadn't really thought of that until you just mentioned it, but what I find interesting is the retroactive story that Marvel came up with is that while he was in the ice, he was replaced with somebody who would be on the HUAC committee. <laughs> You know who who was out right, there who was right, out, who's right. out there beating up supposed communists, right? So I, I think that's kind of an interesting contrast to what you know to to the to what Steve Rogers would have been doing. Was there a no? There was no. Uh, I know there was the, a Russian equivalent of a Captain America in the Guardian, but there was no Russian right. superpowered person in World War Two that I remember. Oh, no, I think... There, I think they may have come up with somebody think, in The Invaders. Yeah, I think was there, there was. I, I mean, I, I, I yeah. remember Bucky, Human Torch, Namor... Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, those are all Americans, though. Or Atlanteans. But I think there may have been somebody, but they weren't a member of The Invaders. There was, because when we, when we covered The Patriot, remember when the, one, when the guy... When the Patriot takes over for Captain America, remember he and Bucky don't get along in the beginning, and Bucky ends up giving him shit at one point because he stumbled when the Russian superhero questioned him about 
remember that time we were at such and such? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember whatever. And then later Bucky said, by the way, he was baiting you because you were never there. Captain America was never there. And so now he knows that you're not really Cap because you you fell for the trap. Do you, you, you remember that scene? Yes, I do. I know I'm not I, explaining it very well. But I, you know but I, I only remember it vaguely as well, but I do remember that that whole dynamic between him and Bucky and that he was that he fell for something. So, yeah, I, I do kind of remember it, you know, who the way you describe it. was that? It. Was that the Guardian? I can't remember who that was. Like, Red... What's his name? Like, Red Guardian or something Well, Red like Guardian that? is the later Russian hero. I don't know if that's the one that was there for that or not, honestly. Yeah, I can't remember. Well, but if yeah, anybody, if anybody feels like looking sure. it up for us, feel free. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there was at least one Russian superhero during World War II in uh, in Marvel Comics. I'm I'm almost positive of it. I'm looking on a Invaders Comics wiki and I'm not seeing not seeing any Russian heroes. Well, you'll have to read every issue of the Invaders that's been out and then let us know. <laughs> Former members, Blazing Skull. I didn't say he was a member of the Invaders. Mm-hmm. I think there may have been one introduced in the pages of the Invaders. Ooh, the right. Rock Phantom. Well, hello. Oh, sorry. Anyway, so any anything more on this one other than this is a well-crafted... Well, it's also ton, a, a pretty <laughs> period fine noir-type feel to it. Yeah, it does yeah. have it does have a feeling of you know the crime noir uh, mm-hmm. movies of that era, especially as well. in the coloring of of the you know, most of the book. And it has a little bit of a Dick Tracy feel with the, uh, with the three agents that are actually cr- the mole. As, yeah. The mole, the mole He's the one who, who seems most Dick Tracy like to me. Yeah. Kruger. I love ne- it. When, there's neon. When, uh, Tremaine says, uh, uh, he's like, right Kruger, there. when did Hoover start recruiting Nazis? Uh, it's the new edge, Mr. Tremaine. I say let bygones be bygones. I'll pass that on to the men I buried at the bulge. So you totally mm-hmm. missed that comment when I said neon noodle. Do you, oh, do you no, remember I, Do you remember him from the from uh what was it? When when uh when Daffy was the superhero? That was one of his villains. <laughs> no, I missed that. I guess he was super duck. Anyway. <laughs> Soup. It was the it was the Red Guardian. I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so but Bill I'm, is so Bill I'm is not, wrong. Not, no, I said Guardian. I'm not, year. Oh, okay, 1946. So the war was over by then. So yeah. So technically, no, they did not fight. Well, this mm-hmm. this fight anyway is not happening in World War Two. It's at, hap, happening after World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's the character that that. Cap was talking to it was Red Guardian. All right. So, <laughs> so he doesn't really have any. So I don't know if that answered anything street, or not. But he's just a street level guy. He's kind of like more. He's just a well trained a- athlete. He's got no special powers. He's more along the lines of like the Punisher for his like skill set kind of. Well, I don't think we've learned enough about him to know if he has any superpowers uh, actually. Uh, well, I think I looked up something about his his history and it didn't really uh, uh who are we talking about? The Eagle's power set. Oh, he the really Eagle. Ha- he's just yeah, basically I 
Yeah, I didn't see where he actually had any powers. Uh, from from what I could tell, he was just yeah. Well, the list of his powers for the rope game stats, mm, resources for well, the skills, acrobatics, detective, martial arts, military, science, thief, uh, advantages. Yeah, so he's got real no power. Power. He's basically skills. He's got smarts. Skills, baby. So yeah. is this all he's been in? It's, it's just the ready. That's the all I could find was, was this. Yeah, I think it's just for this. Yeah. Okay. They were in something called the League of Heroes, but when I tried to find that, I found nothing. Yeah. All right. Well, are we ready for grades on this? I think we are. All right. So, first off, cover on this. Uh, the cover did its job. It got me to read it. It got me to uh, flip through it, and uh, and it pretty much hooked me. So, I think I'm going to have to go a straight-up A on the cover. I, I really like it. I like the design. I love the art, and uh, it works. It's it's a very eye-catching uh, cover, and like I say, it, it did what it was supposed to do. Um, interior art on this, I really dig the interior art. I am not the biggest Jerry Ordway fan in the world. I really like the guy a lot, and when he works, he works. And in this particular instance, he works good. It it looks it's really sharp. Uh, I mean, my only quibble with the art at all is uh, I I'm just I'm not a hundred percent crazy about the inks. They're not bad, but I have seen uh, Ordway inked better. And I just think that paired with maybe a different inker, it could have been a little bit stronger than it was. But that said, it, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the coloring's fantastic. Uh, the printing looks good. I mean, it's just, it's all around a really, really nice uh, comic art-wise. So art-wise, um, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go an A-, because it's, it's pretty top-notch. It's right up there. And then story on this one, at least for this first issue, I really liked it. I was very intrigued. Um, I only intended just to read this one issue for the show, and I ended up blowing through the whole rest of the series just because it, it really hooked me. Um, I hope this isn't projecting you know, for the whole six issues as opposed to just this first one, but the only thing I didn't really care for was... Um, the other kid, the what was his name? The Gray Falcon, the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really like him, um, but I'm trying to remember: is that did I not like him in this first issue, or do I not like him like for the whole series? And I'm I'm not really sure which is which. So it might be a little unfair, but I'm going to take a, a little bit off just because I didn't really care for this kid. I and I found blue, I was thinking of the Blue Falcon, which is why I said right. <laughs> <Dynamite>. <laughs> Oops, laundry um, son. Laundry's done. <laughs> Gonna get the blue filter. So, story-wise, I, I think I'll go. Uh, I think I'll go a straight-up A on the story as well, because I, I, I really did enjoy it, and I, I thought it was well researched and uh, and very enjoyable. So, uh, overall grade for this one, I, I think I'll go a straight-up A. I really dug it. I thought it was good stuff, and um, like I say, while I, I felt like the overall read was a, was you know a little under satisfying i would still highly recommend reading the whole series uh which has been reprinted as a trade paperback at some form so there you go a book i enjoyed it doc um so the cover i like that the title is in red for red menace 
and that the two pictures on the cover see this is this is another case of a background that is just white but i have a feeling paul that you will not hold it against it because of the actual way that the cover is framed you have two inset pictures one of the eagle with uh, you can see flash bulbs going on behind him and it's actually black behind him with the white flash bulbs in the inset picture and another of i believe mccarthy you know asking him a question or making a statement saying yes to the to the words below the eagles um um picture that says kami synthesizer Sympath- oh whatever jeez i can't talk blah, blah, blah. kami pico kami question mark so anyway i'm gonna give the cover even though it's simplistic but like scott you said before it gets the job done i think it's an a uh the interior art I'm really more familiar with Jerry Ordway from um, his work on Superman. It was where I first remember seeing him um, way back in the numbered issue days with the ongoing storyline. But this is a different feel from that. And with the noir look to it, I like it, especially at night. It really feels like nighttime. It just doesn't look like people drawn like regular like they're they're cl- everything is dark they're not just people put into a dark setting like they are actually toned down with the 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 colors on their skin everything is muted and washed out like it it would be at nighttime to whereas like in the last book we 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 were in it did it a little bit but it was still way too lit and colorful for being nighttime and when there are sources of light especially when Kruger is lighting his cigarette in the dark, it kind of lights up his face. Like that's the only real light source that's coming. It's a nice little touch. Now that's not necessarily right. Ordway. That would be more on the colorist, but they did have, to. it's just a nice touch. So I'm going to give the art, uh, I think it's going to be B plus a minus and the story. This is the only part of it I've read. It's got me hooked. It's interesting. So I'm going to give the story an A as well. So uh, like an A minus for me. Okay. Uh, I think he kind of hit it on the head uh, on the cover with the comment it gets the job done. I think that's exactly what I look at this and I think. I think the artwork is good on it. I think the uh, the, the layout is one that's intriguing. It, it basically is kind of uh, trying to look like a magazine cover. Uh, and, and I think it, it's... It's intriguing. Like I said, it makes you want to see what it's about. I just don't think it's... Like, it's not one of my all-time favorite covers that I'd put to want to see over and over again. So, to me, it's not quite an A, but it's probably a B+. Uh, The interior art, I don't even have the problem Scott did with the inking on it. I think this is really solid. I think the storytelling is good. I think the detail work is really done done well. Uh, The coloring is very effective. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm, I'm almost tempted to go straight up A, but I'm going to say an A minus. Uh, and I think the story itself, I think, again, gets the job done. It makes me want to see more. I think it created, recreated the paranoia of that time very, very well. So I'm going to say a straight up A on the story, and I'm going to say an A minus overall for the book. Cool. So that's it for our All Politics All the Time episode. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. no one's offended by us. Because if you are, then I'm offended right back at you. 
do I need to apologize like the guy in Star Trek Five? I apologize. I prefer the disingenuous. I apologize if anyone was offended. Or, or I could just do Pee Wee Herman. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and that will call it a night. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I would just start laughing. <laughs>